But um, I wanted to start out with just a question. I thought I'd ask you the question. How many of you guys out there would say that you have a green thumb? Do you have a green thumb? Now, that's not literal, obviously. We don't have a literal green thumb. But we, when we hear about the, the idea of someone having a green thumb, it means that they can take plants and, you know, they can garden. It seems like things just grow around them, like things that they have no problem keeping things alive. There's, there's some people that will say, you know, if you give me a plant, it'll be dead within a week. You know, it's never going to make it. You know, they don't really understand maybe how much water it takes. People give somebody, you know, a plant too much water or not enough, or they put it in the wrong area and things don't grow. But somebody that has a green thumb, they say is, is someone that really can... Um, take care of plants and have them do well around them. I love plants. I have, uh, I love gardening. I love all that aspect of that in my life, you know. So if you go into my house, there's usually a plant. Nearly everywhere you walk into the room, there's plants. Uh, I love to have living things around me like that. And then I love to garden. I love flowers. I, if I have a moment in my life, that's what I do, is go outside and I try to garden. You know, you can have a bad day and there's just something about going outside and putting your hands in the dirt and kind of digging around that makes you feel better. It just kind of brings you back and kind of takes you back to where you need to be and centers you. So I love all that stuff. And then I love planting a garden. We just got back in our house just a few years back and you know, it's nice to be able to go back and actually, like, you know, dig up the dirt and make a garden again and watch for the harvest. And last year we had a great time. We ended up having a whole bunch of pumpkins and the kids helped us and it was great. Um, but doing all that, the gardening and everything, it gives me a sense of accomplishment, I think. That's the reason why I really like it. Um, I don't even really hate the weeding part of it that much. <clears throat> There's something really about weeding, too, that I really get some joy. John laughs at me because I'm a person that we have direct TV. And as soon as we get done with something and watching, I'm like, are you done with that? You're done with that? Because I have to delete it. Because I have to delete. So weeding is probably part of that. I think the idea that I can get rid of weeds probably is really good for my brain or something. I don't know what it is. But gardening gives me the sense of peace and joy. There's something about it that I just really have always loved. Um, I think if, you know, when I was a kid, I remember being forced to go out and have to work in the garden. <clears throat> my brother-in-law would say, you know, go out there and weed the garden. And I think what happens in those situations a lot of times is either you love something because you were forced to do it or you hate it. And I actually learned to love it, so it was a good thing for me. But I actually hope to pass along this legacy of gardening and loving live plants and stuff around me to my kids and grandkids. I, I enjoy that aspect. You know, when Silas and Levi come over my house or my granddaughters come over my house, it's one of those things that I love to show them all the different plants. You know, I like to say, you know, what is this? This is how this grows. Or look at this beautiful flower. And, you know, Silas and Levi both come over and they'll say, they know right where the bee balm is. And they know right where the, I'll say, where's the fire chief? And they'll point them out, you know, for me. And they, they know all the plants. And I just really... I, I get great joy out of that. I don't know why, I just I love it. I love the idea that they're going to know those things. <clears throat> but you know, the thing is, gardening is something that's really an interesting thing because gardening has more to do with our faith than might, you might real, not realize. There's actually a lot to gardening that actually has a lot in common. Um, this year, it was really interesting because when we decided to do our garden, I actually had Silas come help me plant it. And when he came over to help me plant it, we planted peas and beans and carrots and all those different things. And, you know, he's watching them now come up and he's seeing them get bigger. And I'm hoping and praying that, you know, I told him, I said, you're going to love tasting these peas and beans. They're going to be way better tasting than any peas and beans you've ever tasted before. Because you planted them. We don't know if that's going to work. We're going to try it. We're going to see. 
It didn't work for Cameron. Cameron still hates beans. Hates them, will not eat beans. So don't ever try to get him to eat green beans. It's not going to work. So, you know, this idea of planting and growing, like I say, though, producing fruit is something that God actually tells us is really important in our faith. That we're supposed to go on and we're supposed to produce fruit. So this idea of gardening in our faith and our, our life, the way we live it, has a lot to do with gardening in, in our faith. So <clears throat> there's actually a really familiar verse that I'd like to read for you, and I'm sure it's one of them that you've heard before many times. Um, it's actually the old idea of the message of salvation reaching our heart, and what it talks about is the soil, right? The soil that the, the seed is, is set down on. So it's Matthew 13, 3 through 8. It says, listen. A farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as been planted. So, the reason why Jesus decided to speak this parable to the disciples and those people around is because they understood farming. They understood the idea, the concept of planting and harvesting, of taking care of a, a ground and producing something. So when he said this, he was giving them an example, but the disciples didn't necessarily understand it. They were like, wait, 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 tell me how this has anything to do with you. How does this work when it comes to my faith? How does this make sense? The disciples said to him, we don't understand. So Jesus says to him in this parable, he tries to explain the story of the soil. He says, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom but don't understand it. Then the evil one comes <clears throat> and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. So when he uses this, this analogy to them, he's trying to explain to them that a farmer planting a seed has a lot to do with the message of Christ being deposited into our hearts. He's trying to explain that to them. Um, he's trying to explain to them that this seed is the message of salvation. It's this idea that we would spread the message, that that's our job, really, to, to share this message of salvation with others. But it's up to them and their hearts and how well they receive it. So he explains to them that the soil is our hearts. The soil is where the seed is going to be deposited. And he actually says to them that the seed will either be taken away or can be crowded out by all the other things in this world that demands our attention. So we can see this happens over and over again. I'm sure that you've met somebody that said that they really wanted to start following after God, but before long you see that things kind of fell apart on them. And they didn't stick around. They didn't last. But he explains to us that this idea of good soil, 
This idea of good soil is a good soil whose hearts are receptive and they're, they're soft enough really to hear this message of, of Christ. And they start to understand God's word. And then they grow on, not just go on, but they grow on to produce a harvest of more than was ever planted there. Which means that, you know, they're going to be able to have people in their lives that are come to know Christ in a real way. You know, you're going to have us, if we're sharing the message of Christ with others, if we've truly received it and we've become what we're supposed to be, we're going to have people in our lives that we're going to come in contact with that we are going to someday have brothers and sisters in, in heaven with us. That along with us, they'll be there with us, you know, um, when we're fully grown, when we're full followers of God. So we Christians, the point I really wanted to make is that all us Christians, all of us who say that we are true followers of God, Christians sometimes can be a word that people use that, to describe themselves, but a lot of times they're not really as good a Christians as they should be. I always love the idea of calling ourselves followers. Because I think a true follower is going to keep up, right? They're going to keep up with God. They're going to keep up with Jesus. So this idea that we're going to, to follow after and close. But the point I really want to make to you is the idea is that Christians should all have green thumbs. There should be something inside of us that's really full of life, that's growing our faith, that's, that's maturing and changing, and, and we're becoming stronger. We have deeper roots in our faith than we ever did before. And then actually that we can go on and we can share this message of Christ with others. So, you know, I, I told you that I, I love the idea of this legacy of gardening, this idea of legacy that I'd love for my kids to continue on and have a love of really planting and harvesting and just doing that. I don't know, maybe I was born in the wrong era. Maybe I should have been one of those little house in the prairie people because I literally love to get outside, dig in the dirt and plant and harvest. But, you know, I love to pass along with my family. You know, Shelby is one of those ones that, you know, I remember the first couple times she went outside to plant with me and plant flowers, and she wasn't so excited when she was a teenager. But, you know, now she loves gardening. She absolutely loves it. She adores it. It's the best thing that she loves to do. You know, Cameron, I, I, you know, we joke around, but Cameron actually also is a great gardener. He has a green thumb. And people will be like, what? Because if they see his yard, Cameron's not really got a lot of time. Amy definitely doesn't have time to deal with like gardening at this point in her life. I mean, she's lucky she gets through the day with having three children to take care of nonstop. You know, they don't necessarily have a garden planted. They don't have flowers. But I can tell you that they have green thumbs because they spread the message of Jesus Christ, the seed of salvation to others. So they actually are green thumb people. So hopefully you guys are too. Hopefully you are those who have green thumbs. So I say Cameron definitely has a green thumb. I'm two for two. I so far so good. I got two for two on that. So, you know, but gardening, like I said, has so much in common with receiving and sharing the message of seed and seed of salvation. So I actually, because of this message, get to combine two of my favorite things. I get to talk to you about gardening, but I also get to talk to you about Jesus. The best things ever. Win-win. So we're going to actually discuss on how all this relates. Because you're like, I still don't get it. I kind of get it, but I'm going to bring it home to you. I'm going to explain a little bit more to you. So, first off, when we go to plant a garden, what do you have to have? You have to have good soil, right? You know, there's areas in this world that, you know, does not have good soil. I mean, you can't, 
grow something in some soil. I mean, some soil is too um, sandy. Some, seed, some, some uh, soil is way too compact. It's too clay, too much clay in it. And so, you know, we're, we're actually blessed in Illinois. I mean, Illinois is really a good area of farming area, you know, that we have good, dark, rich soil. Yesterday when we were putting the soil back around that playground equipment, I was looking, I was thinking, man, this is good soil. Nobody's taking this, I'd take some, because it's some really good soil there. It's nice and black, and it can grow a lot of things. But you know, our soil, the soil is so important. So we have to have good soil. And this is the point of actually Jesus' parable that he's trying to make. He, Jesus is trying to tell us that the soil, the soil and our hearts are so relatable. So when the, the message of salvation comes to us, we have to have a soil inside of our heart. The, the soil, the heart, has to be receptive, that we actually have to receive that seed so that it can be deposited inside of our hearts and it can grow and it can be changed, it can develop into who we need to be. So this point of Jesus' parable telling us that our soil and our hearts are so relatable, um, that's what we're planting the message in. When you meet somebody, that's the message that you're trying to impart into them is into their hearts, the soil that they have there. Hosea 10, 12 says, I said, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts for now is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. You know, a lot of us come to Christ with hard hearts. Maybe you've gone through a lot of tough times. Maybe there's been a lot of struggles in your life and, you know, you be kind of become hard. You know, I, I think there's those people that actually go through life and say, man, nothing gets to me, you know. I can just continue on. I'll shoulder on. It's no problem, you know. And they get this hardness that they have. Well, to truly become saved, we actually do have to have a softness that takes place in our heart. We have to be receptive to God's word that we can, like, have it deposited into our heart and we can grow out of that. <clears throat> so spiritual speaking... Our hearts have to be fertile ground. This is why farmers till up the ground. That's why every spring you'll see there. I mean, some people are no-till, but the majority of farmers will still till up the ground. They'll, they'll go through and they'll break up the ground and get it prepared for the seed. This is exactly what you have to do when you come to God. When you even come in here, even if you started to follow after God and you come in and, and you know, haven't been here all week, you come back, you just pray that your hearts are receptive to what God has for him to show you that day. When you come in here that you receive what it is that he wants to reveal to you, you know, that your, your heart's ready for it. You know, a seed cannot be so, you know, the seed can't penetrate a ground that's so hard. What happens, like I said, is it sits on the ground, like his, his scripture verse said, it sits on the ground and then it's basically open to somebody destroying it. Either the wind could blow it away or birds can come eat it. You know, just like the word says that life's problems and all the struggles can come in our life and take it away. So we have to have hearts that are receptive so that we can receive the seed. Our hearts have to be soft. All throughout the Bible, you'll see that, that God, that's what God says. Soften my heart. You know, help it to be soft, to receive what it is that you have. So our hearts have to be able to receive the seed or message of salvation. Um, if you are a follower of God and that you say that you are a person that wants to share the message of salvation with others, you need to start preparing the hearts of the people around you. 
And I know you say, well, no, no, that's their job. But no, you understand you have a great opportunity and responsibility if you have somebody that you want to share, maybe a family member, maybe son, daughter, cousin, best friend, whoever, you want them to understand how great God is and how Jesus can change your life. What you need to do is you need to start preparing their hearts. You need to start praying for them. You need to start asking God to soften their hearts. Sometimes it's tough times that come. Sometimes tough times come, and that's what actually prepares our hearts to receive the message of Christ. You know, I think, Jack, with me, I mean, it took me going through depression before I ever reached out to God. You know, I don't know, maybe there was somebody praying for me to really have a tough time where there was something that prepared and softened my heart. So when Christ came in, I was willing to accept it. But your job is to start praying for those people around you. Start praying for them to soften their hearts, God. Soften their hearts so when I can share this message, it's the right time. You know, sometimes I think we as Christians, a lot of times we throw out scripture verses or we say something in a strong way. And we do that, which is good because we're supposed to be witnesses maybe, but the problem is we didn't take the time to pray and prepare the soil before we do it. So then there's planting the seed, right? Planting the seed. Seeds are amazing. I love looking at a seed and thinking of the potential that's there. It always amazes me. It mesmerizes me, the idea that a little tiny seed can go on to produce so much. This year in spring, of course, when my maple tree is throwing out all those little helicopters and all the things that are coming down, I remember Silas coming to my yard. We were sitting there, and I was saying to him, look at all this. And he says, what are those? And I said, those are all seeds. So I had him break it apart and look, and I said, see each one of these little seeds, Si? Each one of these little seeds can go on to produce a tree that can produce hundreds of thousands of these. Isn't that amazing? Those are the things I love to teach. Because you know what? That's all spiritually minded, too. Do you understand? That's the message of us, too. You know, when we deposit the seed into someone's heart, they have the opportunity then to go on. We can produce hundreds of thousands through us sharing the message of Christ with others. And then they can share the message of Christ. And before long, we've got a garden of people around us. It's so good. Seeds are amazing. And I think what happens is we underestimate what seeds can do. We underestimate the message of Christ, what it can do in someone's life, how it can change a family's dynamic, how it can change a family's legacy forever. We have this opportunity to share this message of Christ with others in a real way, and we can change people's destinies. Well, we underestimate seeds, and we underestimate nature many times. And I wanted to read you this little story I thought was really interesting. It says, on the island of Krakatoa, one of the most violent volcanoes in history erupted, leaving a 98-foot-deep layer of pumice covering the ground. No signs of life or vegetation were expected by expert botanists for many, many years. However, within just three years, there were ferns and algae growing. And within 11 years, there was the first tree. And within 20 years, there was already a dense jungle all over the island of Krakatoa. Isn't that amazing when you think of that? These experts are saying, no, no, there's 98-foot deep layer of pumice. How could a seed penetrate that? How could a seed do that? See, nature finds a way. God created a way for things to grow. You know, nothing with God is, is stationary or static. 
It's always moving, always changing, always doing great things. That's just like nature. Nature is always changing, and you're not going to stop it. You're not going to stop it from happening if God intends it to happen. Under 98 feet deep of pumice, there were seeds there. Seeds are this perfect example of Jesus Christ. It's a perfect example. When you think about that, think about a seed when you plant it. You have a seed that looks like it's dead, right? Basically looks dead. It actually does have to die. Did you know that? You put a seed in the ground, it has to die. It starts to split open, it starts to decay, and then what happens out of that, it sends up a sprout to start to grow. And that sprout starts searching and looking for light, searching for the sun. It's a message of salvation. When you watch a plant grow, understand that is Jesus. That's Jesus. Jesus went in to the ground. Basically, he died. He looked like he was dead. But he wasn't dead. Within three days, he shot back up, and he's living forever. It's an amazing, nature is an amazing representation of salvation for us if we pay attention. You know, just like Jesus, before he died, he went through so much. Talks about how Jesus was scarred, beat for our sins. You know, a seed pretty much has to be scarred up too before it can go on to develop. A lot of things grow in weird places, don't they? You know, we just did the, the LAD community center, and we were there, and everybody kept saying, what are these things here? And I said, that's a volunteer mulberry tree. We need to cut that out. Well, how did a mulberry tree get there? Well, birds. <laughs> birds. Birds eat mulberries. What happens is they get deposited in a lot of interesting places, and trees start to develop. But, you know, a seed gets scarred up in many ways, by thawing and, and uh, freezing and thawing by a, a bird eating it and digesting, or an animal, and, you know, the idea that a, a seed could pass in the water and through a stream and get beat up upon the rocks and, you know, then be deposited somewhere and it grows. That's Jesus. The scarring that Jesus went through, is, then he comes to life, and it's just like a plant that gets to grow and develop. You know, God created this place for us to live. On the way here today, I was thinking about how beautiful it is. Did you guys really look at the sky? Did you ever just look at how beautiful it is? The most beautiful blue that we could possibly have, the most beautiful green grounds. There's times I look and I think, oh my gosh, how amazing is this world that we get to live in? It's a sinful world. It's not paradise. Someday we'll get to get there if we, if we do it right. But the thing is, he gives us beauty to live in here. A fallen world that he still lets us live in beauty. It amazes me sometimes when I look at it. This, this idea of nature, this idea of this rhythm that takes place, you know, nothing happens without God's plan happening the way he wants it to be. Nothing is a coincidence. When you watch a plant develop, you can see it is a perfect, perfect representation of salvation, the seed of salvation. Something growing, something producing fruit. It's us. This is what we're supposed to do. Like I said, when a seed breaks out of the ground, the first thing it does is it begins to reach for the light. This is what we need to do once we first come to know Christ. We need to start reaching out to the light. That means we need to start reading God's word. We need to start praying. We need to start doing the things that's going to grow us closer to God. You know, once we accept Jesus, we're going to reach for the sun, S-O-N, 
plants reach for the sun, S-U-N, see? It all works together. It all works together. Jesus tries to explain how it's important for us to grow and how we need to develop our roots. Our roots are really important. If we're just shallow in our faith and we don't actually let our roots grow down deep enough, then we are going to just wither on the vine before long. Tough times are going to come. They all do. Everyone has tough times. Very few people have a life that's just always easygoing and perfect. Tough times are going to come. This is why it's so important for you to understand that your faith is something you have to develop, that you have to work at, that you have to build up your roots. That means you have to seek out the things of God so that when the tough times come, we sang that song, when the winds blow, that we can carry on. You know, I think that the seed always has a potential. It has potential. When you look at a seed, it has potential to change into a plant, to produce a lot. We have to start thinking about that with us and salvation and what's really deposited in our hearts. What are we growing? You know, there's an old uh, nursery rhyme I'm sure you've heard before. Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow? With silver bells and cockle shells and pretty maids all in a row. Well, what are you growing? What are you growing in your heart? Is Christ developing into, in your heart the way he should? Are you growing up? Are you growing on? Are you developing strong roots? Do you have a strong plant that's going to be able to make it through those tough times? You know, we can't quit because if we quit, we die. We have to stay connected to Jesus to make it. God makes that clear to us in his word. He tells us many times that we have to stay close to him. You know, I always think about the following aspect again. If we're following Jesus, he should always be within sight ahead of us. Have you ever been on a trail that goes all different ways, back and forth, to and fro, and sometimes you can't see the person on the other side, they went back that way and you're going this way, and stay close enough to Jesus that you always keep him in your sight and you will never be lost. It's important to stay connected to the Savior. John 15, 4 says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. You have to stay connected to the Savior to be able to be saved. You can't do it on your own. You can't accept Jesus as your Savior a long, long time ago and think, I'm just going to do this my own way now. It doesn't work. You will eventually die off. You will wither, and you will be gone before long. I think all of us have seen this happen. If you've been a follower of God for any length of time, you've seen those people that have withered away. You've seen the ones that have died. Why? Because they did not stay connected. They didn't stay connected to the Savior. And that's what was their undoing. I think too many seedlings, seedling is a little plant that pops up out of the ground. Too many seedlings underestimate the enemy. They think they're going to be okay. No, no, I'm growing. It's like, but your roots didn't develop. You're not strong enough yet to do it on your own. You don't know enough yet. You really don't understand God's goodness yet. You don't understand God's um, selflessness yet. You don't understand so much of what you're supposed to repeat and try to resemble yet. You need to follow the Savior. You know, the enemy is going to do so many things that he can to destroy you. You know, the thing is with the enemy is, like I said, we underestimate him. 
He's going to keep you busy. He's going to keep you tired. And he's going to keep you entertained so that you never grow closer to him and that you don't become strong. You don't get those roots developed. You won't grow close to God because you're going to have all those things going in your life instead. Those are the weeds and thorns. Those are those weeds and thorns that grow up alongside you. Those things that are going to kind of always pull you away from, from Christ. You know, there's always those people that say that they have that shiny ball syndrome. There's always something new that's like, wait, wait, what's there? That new thing? It's like, believe me, we have to have faith that's like this, continuing on. If we're always falling for the next thing, we're going to fall for anything and we're going to be destroyed. You know, this idea of entertainment, I'm going to tell you, we're so easily entertained by other things instead of salvation and Jesus. We're always looking for a new thing. You know, busy, tired, that's our lifestyle in this, in this world, in America especially. I mean, if I asked most of you today, well, the two words you're going to tell me every time when I say, how have you been? Were you going to say, I'm tired or I'm busy? That's what you're going to tell me. The rest of the time, you're not going to tell me how you're entertained because there's a lot of people being entertained by things that aren't good. But you're going to tell me you're tired and busy. Believe me, that's a tactic of the enemy. That's what he'll use to destroy you. You know, Jesus mentioned that there are seeds that shot up quickly. And like I said, they get choked out by those weeds. And they never go on to produce the fruit that they're supposed to. These are those people, like I said, they hear the message, but before long, the cares of the world get in the way. And they begin to love this world way more than they're concerned about the next one for themselves. You know, just enjoying life. You know, it's FOMO, fear of missing out, or, you know, you got to take part in everything because, you know, like, you got to live, you know. You got that whole idea that people got to try new things and you got to do all these things that the world tells us. They're just shiny things that are going to pull us farther away. A lot of people fall for the lure of wealth. There's a lot of people like nice things. We all like nice things, but we can't let nice things and the lure of wealth be what tears us away from God. Sometimes people get caught up. They start to follow after God. They start to de develop some seed. They're a seedling is developing some roots, and before long, they start having this admiration from someone of maybe the opposite sex. And before long, they're like, well, they're really cool. You know, I really like these people. You know, they're Christians. And before long, that's what lures them away because those people weren't necessarily the followers of God they needed to be with. All these things can crowd out the space that the seed needs to grow in your life. Sin can so easily entangle us. Have you ever watched a weed entangle a plant? It chokes it out. That's what takes place. It starts wrapping around. If you have a vine, it wraps around, wraps around to the point where the plant gets no sustenance. It doesn't get the water. The weed is, is down deeper. It seems like the weeds are always harder to pull, aren't they? Yeah, those roots go down deep. And they're getting all the water, and they're sucking up all the water, and the plant gets nothing. There's a lot of things that are going to entangle you in this world. And you'll wither on the vine. And you'll die. And you'll get plucked out. We're all going to sin. This is true. None of us are going to be perfected. There's things that I'm going to struggle with the rest of my life. There's things that I've struggled with from day one. I'll struggle with to the end. Sins that so easily entangle us. Things that bother us. Things that cause us to, to fall victim to the enemy. But the thing is, we have to repent of them. 
We can't just keep getting entangled with them over and over again. There's things that you know are dangerous to you growing. And you know you got to get rid of them. So what you have to do is you have to repent. I said before in the earlier service, and I mean it, I think what's really sad about the church of today and the church of the world, all churches, is that we don't near talk enough about repentance. The idea that we need to repent of our sins, that we need to turn 180 degrees away from our sins. I think so many people try to play both sides, you know. Well, I'm going to be a follower of God, but I'm still going to do this, and it's not going to make a difference. It will destroy you. It will, you know. You can't play that way. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Jesus said repent, which means turn from your sins. That's the way you're going to grow. That's the way you're going to get de develop deep, deep roots. And the reason why you're going to actually go on to produce fruit in your lives, those that are strong followers of God and able to reach so many others for Christ yourself. Matthew 3, 8 says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. See, repentance is part of it. You have to repent to produce fruit, to develop those things in your life that you need to be successful. You know, I think it's sad because so many people really just don't understand how much they have to feed themselves, you know? This idea of how does your garden grow? Have you ever seen somebody start a garden but then they don't take care of it? You know, the plants are starting to grow but before long the weeds have overtaken it up. It's starting to look really bad, tattered, messy. Nothing's producing right. You might get a couple little tomatoes or something, but that's it. You have to tend your own garden. You know, you have to be responsible for your faith yourself. What are you doing to grow fruit? Luke 3, 9 says, Even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. And I always laugh because I say that's really uplifting, but that's actually the message and the point behind Acts Church. That's where we get our name. It's from Luke 3, 9. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and those that do not produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. It's very, very deep, <laughs> our message. But you don't forget Acts Church, do you? You never forget the name. Never do. But you understand, this is serious. This is life or death. It really, truly is. This is life or death. That's why we wanted the name to really mean something because we didn't want this just to be a group of people that come together and just play church. We want you to be people that are going to grow on to produce and be great followers of God so that you can reach your families, your friends. This is what it's for. This is why this church exists, is to do those things. We take it serious. This is life or death. It really is. We want you to understand that it means so much more than what just going to church does. Well, I want to go on because I wanted to end. I didn't want to end with that really kind of downer part. I wanted to go on to the good part. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about the good soil. The good soil, the fertile ground, right? Those that are ready to prepare and be planting, you know, to to receive the seed and it can grow and it can produce. And, you know, the thing is, those hearts, that fertile ground, it's ready to receive it a lot of times just because there's been a lot of manure thrown at it, 
right? I mean, that's truth. A lot of times, you know, if you look at a guy, uh, a farmer planting, what do they do? They put manure all over their ground before they start to plant the seeds and get it ready. A lot of you out there, that's what your life's been. That's what my life was. When I think back on my life, I mean, I didn't have a great childhood. I didn't grow up with a mom or a dad. There was a lot of crap thrown at my life. But you know, but God used every bit of that manure to grow my faith, to make me be stronger. This is what he wants to do for all of you. You know, don't look at your life as something that you're a victim from. Look at it as something you can be victorious from. That's how God wants us to look at it. You know, the things he had thrown at you, the things that happen in your life, the reason why they're there is because it was supposed to actually challenge you to grow stronger, not to give up, not to be a victim. You know, God, God plans on us being fertile ground so that we can go on to produce 30, 60, 100 times more than we ever thought we could. That means you're going to reach people for the kingdom. Someday when you get to heaven, you're going to reach people and see people. You're like, I had a part in that. You know, maybe I, I planted the seed or maybe I helped water that seed and I helped it grow. That's what you're there for. John 15, 8 says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. Don't you want to please your father? I do. You know, when I think about, like I say, the manure that was in my life, I didn't grow up with a mom and dad, but I'll tell you what, when I came to Christ, I couldn't love God, my father, any more than I do. I loved him so much because I knew what it was like not to have a dad. And when I finally found out I have a dad, it made all the difference in my life. But this good soil in our hearts are those who hear and accept the message and like I say, and then go on to share it with others. Not just by their words, but by their lives. They go on to produce a great harvest. I think so many people that start to follow after God a lot of times, they get the Bible knowledge, but then they don't let their lives shine it for others to see. And I think people are just waiting to watch somebody be authentic. Be real followers of God. You know how many fake, phony, plastic plants are out there? There's just fake and phony plants. They're not even real. And they're never going to make a difference. I'm going to tell you, he wants you to develop into the people that he wants you to be so strong and so real and growing so that you can actually change the people around you. Don't be phony. Let your life shine, Christ. He says we're supposed to be salt and light. That means we're supposed to give flavor to a world. There's a lot of just people who are the same everywhere. We see it all over. We're called to be different. Embrace your difference. Embrace it. The fact that you are different than what the world offers. Be light. You know, sometimes it's not going to be, you know, you're not going to be liking to have to be the person that, that maybe like say a scripture verse or say I'll pray for you or you know, I'm really going to like think about you and try to help you or go out of your way to help somebody. That's what Christ wants us to do because then we're different than the world. We can be like tiny little itty-bitty seeds that can grow into mighty trees if we do it right. 
Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 says, But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Don't you want that? Man, I do. I want to be a mighty oak. I want to be one of those old trees that cannot be, you know, no matter what happens, the winds that blow and the things that happen, that nothing can take me out. We sang that like Jesus is our anchor. Don't you want to have roots that are anchored into the ground so deep? You know, if you look at a little plant when they first come up, and it's interesting because we planted a ton of little zinnia seeds and they all coming up. But you know, it's so easy, like you have to thin them out. It's interesting because, you know, the, the package of the seed says that you have to thin them. You have to take out so many because otherwise they crowd each other out and they can't grow right. You know, and it's really easy to pull them out. At the beginning, you can just pluck them out. Every ones that you don't want. That's what you do. But what's interesting is that, you know, just like a tree that starts to grow like that, you know, when you're out doing landscape or something like that, or you're working in your yard and you see this voluntary tree that comes up, if you get it quick enough, you can pull it out, can't you? But when it gets a little bit bigger, it doesn't pull out so easily. This is what we want for you. This is what God wants for you. God wants you to have roots that grow down deep so the enemy can't just pluck you out when he wants to. All these things that are going to come against you, you're not going to be plucked out of the ground. You're going to be able to move on and continue to grow. You're going to produce fruit instead. What I want to leave you with is this. You have to understand the soil that you're growing in. What is your heart's like? Are you feeding your plants? Are you giving enough light to your faith? Are you watering enough? You know, how does your garden grow? You know, you might have to mend your soil. There might be some things in your life that you've got to take out or you've got to put back to be able to have something to grow the right way. If you're a person that has a green thumb, you can grow on to be something really great. First growing yourselves, but then growing others. And our roots will be deep. We won't be taken out no matter what. We're going to just keep reaching for the sun instead and we won't allow anything at all to crowd us out. No matter what, we're going to grow on and we're going to produce. We're going to have green thumbs. And we're going to help others to grow too, right? All right, well, let me pray for you. Well, God, you are so good. And you're so kind and loving. But yet you're just. I just pray, Father, that we would be people who would truly understand what it is that you want our hearts to be like. I pray that we would... Receive your word today, Lord God, and that we truly think about what it is that we're trying to grow in. The things that we're needing to put into our lives and the things that maybe we need to take out of our lives. Those things that are given to us an opportunity, Lord God, to learn more about you through your word, through praying and through praising you, Lord. I pray that we would really just have something inside ourselves that is drawn to those things and less enamored with the world. Help us to not be fake and phony, but Lord, help us to be true, real, living, strong plants 
that go on to produce fruit. Help us to make a change in our families, Lord God, and our friends and our communities and, Lord, this world. We're thankful, Father, for your goodness in our lives. Lord, help us to be changed into who you want us to be. And, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name.